Well, hey, my name is Samuel. I'm one of the pastors around here, and I'm really excited to share with you this morning. You guys having a good morning? All right. Cool. Well, hey, if you have a Bible, let's go to Luke 2. It'll also be on the screen behind me. In a minute, we're going to read Luke 2.52. But before, before we do that, before we jump into it, I want to tell you a little bit about what's starting next week. We're starting a new series called EQ. And I love the premise. I think we have a slide for that as well. Uh, But the premise is that it is impossible to become spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And I just think it's going to be a really awesome, you know, we've been in this New Year's series talking about the best you that we're concluding this morning, goal setting, spiritual growth, a lot of great things. But then, you know, next week we're going to start a series that I think is really going to raise the capacity and just pop the lid off of our church as we become more aware of our emotions and how they impact our relationship with God. So you're not going to want to miss that next weekend. Uh, my dad's going to be starting that series. But Luke 2, 52 has been an anchor verse for the best you. And it says, Luke 2, 52. Um, well, fortunately, I know this one. And... It says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor among men, among God and man. And it's just really amazing to think that God, you know, Jesus Christ, fully human, fully divine, that he grew. And that tells us a lot about growth, that growth isn't negative. It doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't even mean that you're imperfect. If Jesus grew, if he had some growing to do, that means growth is a positive thing. And I believe that it's from this desire to grow, this deep desire that God placed inside of us to continue growing, to always be growing throughout our entire lives, that we come to this idea of goal setting, especially at the start of a new year. Quick show of hands if you've been setting some goals. Awesome. A couple weeks ago, we talked about goal setting and some keys to setting worthy goals and I want to recap that this morning for those of you that, are, that have yet to set your goals. It's not too late. It's still January, and it's a really important time to set the course for your year. So a couple keys we'll review uh, to setting worthy goals. The first was to know your identity. Is this a goal that recognizes the power of Jesus in me or in you? Is this a goal that recognizes our place of value as a son or daughter of God? And is this a goal that stakes claim to an inheritance that God has for you. You know, recognizing that there are things that God has set aside for each and every one of us. And so our goals, they should be big enough to reflect the God that we're following. And the second thing is to get a prophetic vision. You know, I believe that God has a prophetic vision for every single one of our lives this year. There are things that God has been placing in our hearts that we're to pursue, and it's from that vision that our goals stem. And so it's not a worthy goal unless it's stemming from the prophetic vision that God has given you for your life. Uh, And then lastly, to embrace greatness. You know, there's a, we're not um, a church that adopts this, you know, poverty mindset that we can't do great things for God, right? That we can't be greatly generous, that we can't be um, the kind of people that are recognized or doing amazing things that others look to and go, wow, what are they doing? Like, who are they following? What, what do they believe? I want to know what's going on over there. And that's, you know, it's so easy uh, sometimes to think that humility is to fly under the radar. And sometimes that is the humble thing to do. But the tragedy, if we adopt that 
thinking all the way through that it's always to fly under the radar, that it's always to be away in a corner, is that we're really not giving God much to receive glory for. And God wants your life and my life and our community to bring him great glory. So we've got to embrace greatness. So those are three things just to recap. If you're still setting your goals or maybe you set them in the last couple weeks, it's a grid to look at and go, man, do these goals recognize my identity in Jesus? Are they from God? Do I feel a sense that they're his vision for my life? And, you know, discerning between sometimes maybe our human passion and this divine passion that's always better and is always going to lead to more meaningful things. And then as well as do they embrace greatness, right? Am I, am I shying away from some things because of, uh, you know, a, a belief that is not from God? So today what I want to talk about as we conclude this series is what's next, Right? You've got your goals, you've heard from God, you've written them down, but now what? Right? what? What's the difference between those who start strong or even just starting it all and those who finish at the end of the year that look back on their year and go, wow, uh, I, not only did I finish strong, but, but I can see the hand of God and exceeding my expectations. And what's the difference between those who start and those who finish? Um, last year, 2015, I was able to stick to my goals of fitness, right? I was at the gym regularly. And uh, if, if you are like me, you notice that, man, it's great. You get, you get your parking spot and you kind of can park around the same place every time you come. And then January hits and you're like way out and like wherever in the corner of the parking lot and it's just nuts. And then February comes and you're a little bit closer. And, uh, and then by maybe, you know, February, March, you're like back in the front, you know? And, but what that tells me is there's actually a lot of people starting. You know, I think it's a bit of a myth that, that the biggest step is starting. You know, that's really encouraging, right? It's really encouraging that, man, if you can just get started and that's really important, but we don't want to just be the kind of people that start. We want to be the kind of people that finish, and so, you know, this room, I'm not talking to a, a group of people that don't want to start. We're all going to start. But what we need is the encouragement and the wisdom to finish and to really uh, completely be those people that God has destined us to be. Napoleon Hill said, strength, both physical and spiritual, is the product of struggle. I've just been thinking about that this week, just the, the beauty of the struggle you know, the blessing of a challenge, right? It can be the hardest part when you start meeting that struggle. You know, it's not hard it, to sit down and to write out some goals and to, to pray and to think. Like, that's not necessarily hard, right, at all. But, but to actually start, and then when you meet resistance, that's where the struggle comes in. And that's where most of us uh, start to lose our momentum. How many of you followed the Powerball this last week? <laughs> By raising your hand, you're not saying you bought a ticket, okay? We're not going to, but, you know, it's, just, it's, it's kind of a great analogy for how we, a lot of us approach our goals um, or, you know, can tend to approach our goals with God is that it's, it's almost like writing a lotto ticket. It's almost like you're just throwing some things down that you really hope happen. It'd be really great if these things happen. And then it's just a big, like, we'll see what happens. But uh, I, I read a quote this week by a famous author, Donald Miller, and he said, I'd rather earn my money than win the lottery because there's no joy in a reward unless it comes at the end of the story. And I just think, man, I mean, you know, if you win the Powerball, do something good with that, right? I mean, we have some winners, I think. I, I stopped following it. But, but there's a beauty in the struggle. There's a fulfillment 
in the struggle. And when we embrace that struggle, man, we're, we're created for that part of the story, and it gives so much more meaning. You know, the highs and the lows that we experience, that's what gives us joy. Like, we're going to learn a new song later today called Jesus My Joy. And it's God with us through the lows, through the highs, and all of that, that we're able to find joy in the struggle. So I'm reminded today, I just want to take a snapshot of David's journey becoming king. You heard of King David? He's one of the most famous historical figures, not just biblical figures, but historical figures. Um, Famous, he's famous. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, a well-known sociologist, actually wrote a book that uses the story of David and Goliath as a case study. It was an awesome book. Highly recommend it. But when I think about David's life, uh, I'm just blown away by his incredible success paired with unbelievable struggles. Unbelievable. Um, So much so that he... You know, a lot of his struggles and uh, what he felt in those struggles are documented in the Psalms. I love the Psalms. The fact that we have, you know, in a lot of ways, it's like the companion book to David's story. Because you don't just, like, get the narration, but you can go to the Psalms and really see what he was feeling at those different points of highs and lows. And so I want to take a snapshot and look at some of these things. 1020 B.C., Samuel anoints David to be the next king of Israel. Right? And so then the very next day, that's a high point, right? You're like out in the you know, field, he's in the pasture with the sheep, and the next day, after being anointed king, this incredible high, he's back out with the sheep. I wonder what that would have felt like. I mean, it's like you're pulled out of school, and they tell you you're going to be the next president of the United States, or not the, the next, yeah, the next. It's not necessarily going to happen tomorrow, but you're going to be the next president of the United States, and then you're back in class the next day. Can you imagine how that just like the, the, what you'd be going through emotionally? Then he shows up to an epic battle in 1020 BC, a standoff between Israel, the whole nation, and Goliath, this, this giant. And he starts asking questions, and his brothers accuse him of being conceited and having a wicked heart. Now, this is his, his blood, right? These are his brothers. They're supposed to be on his side. They're supposed to have his back. And in ancient culture, blood was a really big deal, like being blood relatives. I mean, there's, uh, you know, stories of Cleopatra and Mark Anthony, and, you know, there, there are these epic battles in, in mythology and all this stuff, and it was actually counted as an honor that Cleopatra uh, chose her loyalty to be her family rather than her husband, because that's how, how important these blood ties were. And so it, it's amazing that you've got, you've got David and his brothers that are like not, they're not with him. They're accusing him of these things, attacking his integrity. Then he defeats Goliath. He has to ignore what they're saying. He defeats Goliath. And then right after that, the king's son pledges his loyalty. You know, unrelated not only that, but he, he's, he's uh, been anointed to take what would have been his his place, and he still sees something in him that inspires loyalty, and he's like, I, I see God doing something here, and I want to pledge my allegiance to you. Then, so, so incredible high, right? Your, your own family is turning their back on you, and they're accusing you of things that are so untrue. And then the next thing you know, the king's son, who's actually much older, is pledging his loyalty. 10.10, Saul becomes increasingly jealous jealous, and banishes him from the king's court and then gives him a small unit. 
So really what he's hoping, Saul's thinking, man, I gotta, this guy's becoming so popular. I got to do something about this guy. I'm just going to give him a small unit. I'm going to banish him out of my court, hoping that he'll die in battle. But he's so successful that the people start singing songs about how Saul's killed his thousands, but David's killed his tens of thousands. So he's becoming this well-known, mighty warrior. And he's so popular in 1008 BC that, David, uh, that Saul has to offer him his daughter, his hand in marriage. He's just like blowing up, right? Everybody's a, a fan. And so he offers him his daughter. But then in 1007, Saul tries to kill David. And he narrowly escapes with the help of Jonathan. So back and forth, back and forth. And it's not until 1000 BC, and there's a lot more to the journey, but David finally, 25 years later, becomes king. 25, it was a 25-year journey, 25-year struggle with incredible highs and incredible lows. He was imperfect, but he was good at finishing, right? He made incredible mistakes, you know, he, but he repented. He... He, um, he persevered through, through incredible struggles, but he got real with God. He always, you know, the Psalms are so amazing. Like, if he was upset, if he was angry, if he was happy, if he was sad, if he was filled with joy, he, let, he, he wasn't afraid to speak those things. And it inspired loyalty. I think a lot of that had to do with how real he was. But also, he had a vision, right? He had a vision for his life that came from what God had, had destined him for. And it was so big that other people could find meaning within that story. You know, his vision was so bad. I think that's part of why people were so loyal to David. But that's because his vision was God's vision. And every single one of us, we can identify the bigger story of God and what he's doing, and we can find meaning within it. And it's an incredible journey together. But I love, I love that David's vision was so big. Um, but what gave David the real strength to persevere, to stay the course in those struggles? You know, what, what made him so uh, strong and so courageous? The steel of David's life was conviction. The steel of his life, it was built on conviction. Now, a lot of people, when they hear the word conviction, they think of condemnation, and I'm not talking about that. That's actually not what conviction is about. That's not what it feels like. I'm talking about when you see a need and you know that if you're willing, you could do something about it. That's a conviction that, that you can connect the dots between the decisions you're making today and whether or not they lead to the tomorrow that God has for you. It's a driving force that cannot be stopped, ignored, or walked away from. Uh, when we ignore conviction, when we make those little decisions to go the other way and to kind of push it out for whatever reason, uh, we find ourselves miserable, anxious, apathetic, bored, or even lost. But when we embrace conviction, man, the benefits of conviction, they, they fortify our relationships, it holds our families together, and it keeps us on a mission as a church. Do you know anyone that's ignored their conviction, that's lost sight? Maybe they grew up in church. You know, I grew up in church. Uh, maybe, maybe they got really excited. They're following God. But then they had these convictions they started to ignore, and they got lost, right? I think all of us can probably think of someone that it just shocked you that they, that they got lost. It just shocked you that they were so strong in one direction, that they seemed so close to God. And then you, you find out, wow, they're not, they're not even following anymore. And that probably started a, lot, a long time ago 
uh, when it was unnoticed because it's really easy to check the boxes, right? It's really easy to, I did my devotions, I checked the box, I came on Sunday, I checked the box. You know what? You can check all the boxes. You can do good deeds. You can go to home church. You can check all the boxes here. But if your convictions aren't strong, you're still vulnerable to losing your way. So this morning, I want to talk about strengthening conviction, some ways that we can strengthen our convictions so that we, whether old or young in this room, we all have a finish line approaching. None of us are there yet. And we want to finish strong. You guys want to finish strong? Yeah. So we got to, let's talk this morning. We're going to talk about three ways conviction is strengthened. The first is to consume truth. Romans 10, 17 says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. We live in a world surrounded by lies, and I'm not saying that to be dramatic, but it's true. We're surrounded by lies, and it's the truth that gives us the ability to discern the good path. And so one of the things I, you know, I was thinking about this week that I think is a way that, that the enemy really tricks us and confuses us is that we've started to believe that just because something's common, it's normal, right? Because it's common to do this, because it's common to say that, or because, you know, it's, it's common, and I'm not waging a war with culture, but I am saying that, hey, just because something's common does not mean it's normal. Normal is by God's design. And when you actually live a normal life, you stand out in some pretty obvious ways, right? The way you talk, the way you live, the way you act, the way you sound, um, so many, so many ways. But how do we discern that? You know, last week, my dad talked about having a growth plan, a spiritual growth plan. And through it, he gave us some different approaches to devotion times. And in mine this week, I read a passage in Timothy, and it was talking about the law. And it was saying how that the law is good. Paul was writing Timothy saying the law is good. And that was really maybe hard for him to grasp because Jesus came and fulfilled the law and everything changed, you know, all the rules and everything, the way that, um, that, we, that they lived with their traditions, some things they're trying to figure out what's still important, what's not important, you know, how does God want us to live? But what he said was, is he said the law, what it does, what the truth does is it doesn't condemn you. You know, just because you can't live up to it. It's not meant to condemn you. It's meant to reveal to you your need for Jesus. And so when we spend time consuming truth, when we have those devotion times that we set aside with God and when we pray and when we encourage one another and when we, we see the truth, we're not condemned, but we see the path. We see the, we see the, the light and, and, you know, like the Bible, the word unto our feet, the light un, or the light unto our path to our feet. You know what I'm saying? But that reveals normal. When you consume truth, normal by God's design is revealed. Number two, exercise faith. James 1.22. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Speak it, declare it, share it, post it. You know, I remember exercising faith is just one of the best ways to strengthen your conviction when it's coming from a place of conviction, right? Like when, you, when you're passionate, when you feel it. I remember when we first moved here, some of you have probably, excuse me, heard the story and maybe some of you hadn't, but you know, my dad had a meeting with a, the pastor who was pastoring this church. And 
they both had a sense that God was doing something. And so I remember we would pray, we would drive by on the freeway, we'd drive by. And whenever we looked up and, and saw this property, you know, the church didn't even know us yet. And we just say, man, I, God's going to give us that property. He's going to give us that property for a church that he brought us here to start, right? We would just say that before we even knew anyone here, before, before the church voted, before any of that. But that was an exercise of faith and not because it was like a lottery ticket Hail Mary, because we were like, hey, we see that God's doing something. We have a conviction about it. And so we're going to speak it. That exercises our faith. And then when you see those things come about, man, your conviction is strengthened. Singing, right? Songs of worship. We have a worship night at the end of the month. It's the last Friday of this month. What an opportunity to strengthen our conviction. When we sing truth, The Bible says, like, when you sing, whether you're good at singing or really bad at singing, it doesn't matter. We all need to sing because it strengthens our conviction. It grows our faith because we're singing truth. And the last is to act it, giving, serving, reaching out. There was a couple that um, uh, in the church that was telling me about their goals, and it was really cool. They were telling me last year their goal was to build community and just get to know other couples and to be intentional. It was something that was lacking in their lives. And so they started taking initiative and reaching out, getting to know people. And now it's like, man, we went to a birthday party um, for the husband and they're just surrounded by all these friends that they made that year because they were intentional about reaching out and just acting on, on their faith. And that was their goal. That was a goal from God. It's God. Like, God, actually, it's, some of this is so practical. Like, to think, man, if you're lacking community and you're, you're actually recognizing that, it's probably something that God's putting in your heart that you're supposed to do something about. And it's not that hard. It really isn't. Um, my last thing is this, and then we're going to have a, a time of worship, so the band's going to join me. But the third thing is to fan the flame, 2 Timothy 1.16. It says, for this reason I remind you, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. I think for some of us, fanning the flame means get outside the bubble. You know, get outside your bubble. It's so easy. We go to the same places on a regular basis. We do the same things. But some of us, if you're lacking passion in your life, you might need to expose yourself to some new things. You know, you might need to get in some environments. Um, There's an awesome couple in our church, um, and you just saw Sue up here singing. And I remember them telling me about when they started getting involved with City Impact, you know, or whether whether it's a missions experience or it's, man, I'm finally going to go shadow in the kids' ministry and see if I have a passion about that, you know, or if you're passionate about youth or if you're passionate about, um, man, there's so many things, right? There's so many opportunities, but sometimes we just have to expose ourselves. But then also more practically, I mean, it's right there through the laying on of hands. And so I just want to have some time together this morning where we can pray for one another. And if you're thinking, man, that's kind of awkward, like we're going to lay hands on each other. No, it's not awkward because we're in church, (laughs) right? What do you do in church? We pray for each other. So I just want to, this morning, have a time that if you're you're here and you're where you're at right now is you're just like, man, my flame's kind of weak, I need my, fame, my flame fanned. I need my, my conviction, my passion. I need more. Or, or maybe you're just like, there's another level that God has for me. You know, there's more, there's more that I need or, or just a complete reboot, you know. But wherever you're at, we want to lay hands. And I was just thinking about this whole idea. 
right? That, that when we lay hands, that there's a power in laying hands on one another. Um, as some of you know, I told you guys a couple weeks ago that I got engaged. And it's really cool, like, getting to know. Yeah, but it's, it's really cool getting to know someone else in the ways that, that you show your love and affection and all of that. And my fiance, she's definitely one of those touchy people. Like, she's probably going to start the conversation with a hug, maybe end it also. And, it, and she's really happy if she's holding your hand while you're talking. And it doesn't even matter if it's me, all of you too. But I was thinking, you know, there's something to that that we all love in different ways. And when you, when you think about fanning a flame, right, like when you think about encouraging that we're to lay hands on one another to fan the flame, that that encourages each other, um, it kind of gets you outside of your comfort zone, right? If you're not a hugger, if you're not a toucher, but when you actually feel the physical presence of someone else that's believing and praying for you and with you, when, you actually, when you're actually touching, when you feel that love, man, that's encouraging. That, that inspires a lot of confidence and faith that there's something more going on, right? And so the band's gonna lead us into this song, but I just wanna encourage you, the people sitting around you, maybe someone you came with, a family member or a friend, or even someone that you just met during the greeting, if you need that this morning, don't be afraid. Let's pray for one another. Let's fan the flame. It's, it's, this is church, you know? We should leave encouraged, right?